Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. It's a blessing to be gathered together with God's people once again this evening and to uh, look into God's Word. Uh, if you have your copy of the Scripture with you, please open with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 11. And it's been three weeks since, I, uh, I think for the last three weeks, the bulletin has had the same uh, text and uh, title and things in there, and, uh, and I have been providentially hindered uh, from uh, being able to be here and uh, speak, but uh, uh, we're going to get right back into our study of the gospel according to Mark. Let's uh, go again to the Lord in prayer, and I, I think if you don't mind, I will just go ahead and begin reading in verse 1 and read uh, down through verse 26. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless you and praise you for your great mercy grace to us that uh, so many times we're so so uh, focused on so many other things and distracted by the things of the world and especially at this season of the year when we should have our minds set upon you we are in uh, so much distraction but I pray that you would call our hearts together tonight by your word. May we set our attention upon your precious word. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us some aspect of your kingdom tonight. May we see it in the scripture. May we see that kingdom that uh, is not just a future kingdom, but it's a present kingdom. May we see how it is revealed to us in Scripture. May we see how that it is advanced. And may we see our part and our responsibility in that kingdom tonight. I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and speak to us. And that we'd be transformed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, beginning in chapter 11 and verse number 1, this is uh, all, we've already been through this uh, before, but uh, since it's been so long, I think it would be a good idea to read it again. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. 
And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. And if you remember when we talked about this, this was uh, this fig tree was ba basically presenting itself to have fruit. It was in full leaf, and he had every right to expect to see figs on it, and there were none. And this was uh, just a very uh, uh, appropriate picture of what has just happened the day before. He's coming into Jerusalem, seated on a donkey, in fulfillment of the ancient prophecy of Zechariah, that their Messiah would come to them, on the colt of a donkey, and uh, and the people are shouting, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the uh, coming of our uh, uh, the kingdom of David, and all these wonderful things, but then he gets to the temple, and it seems like everything just ends. I mean, uh, where are they now? Where's the coronation? Where is the uh, proclaiming him as king? And it has it happened? He goes into the temple and he looks around. And so then when he comes out, he goes to Bethany, comes back the next morning, this fig tree and what happens with this fig tree is just a picture of what's happened the day before. Israel looks like they're ready for their king. Israel talks as if they are ready for their king. They're looking for their king. They rejoiced when he came on the donkey, and yet, where's the fruit? Where is the fruit? There's a lot of leaves. Israel's a very nice-looking tree. But where is the fruit? And so Jesus is angered by that. He had seen what was going on in the temple. Remember, he just looked around. He saw what was going on, all the commerce and the abuse of the temple itself and the people. And so, he said, uh, the Bible said that when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So this is, this is uh, pointing directly at Israel. Fruitless Israel. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple. 
and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Remember, we explained all that was going on there. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? There was divisions all around this temple. And there was abuses financially and mainly financially, but in every way there was abuse going on, abuse of the very house that was called the house of God itself. And so, so Jesus begins to just overturn and drive out and and he said, my house shall be called, and he's quoting scripture, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For the, but you see, they wanted to get rid of him, but they couldn't because they were afraid of the people, you know. They uh, had seen Jesus perform miracles and they didn't, uh, you know, they, uh, uh, they were afraid that it would cause an uprising. And so uh, they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And now we come to our study for tonight. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. So this is still the context, right? Still the same context. Jesus has cursed the fig tree. It's a picture of Israel. It's a picture of the temple mount. It's a picture of all the fruitless doings and goings on in the temple and uh, the fact that God had no, no part in the minds and the thinking of the people. They were there doing religious activity, but instead of having their hearts set on God, they were focused on the ritual. He's never pleased with our focus on the ritual. That's why he, uh, uh, Pastor Russ, taught us out of uh, Ephesians or out of the letter to the Ephesians in the book of uh, uh, of the Revelation that he said, "I have something against you." He named off all these great works that the Ephesian church was doing, and he said, "But I have something against you. You have left. You didn't lose it. You see, that would be passive, right?" You have actively left your first love. God cares about our heart. The heart, our heart, that's what's important. I, I always get so fired up in things. I'm try, I, I really mean to calm down and, and speak a little more calmly. But, but I want you to get it. It's our hearts. 
And this is what Jesus saw here. He saw that they were focused on religion, not focused on him, not focused on God. And so he passed by in the morning. They saw that fig tree that uh, he had cursed. It's withered away to its roots. That is prophecy. That's what's about to happen to the temple mount and the temple and the whole religious system that they were so caught up in. It's about to wither away. And, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. For if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, many versions don't have that last verse, but uh, I'm, I'm using the ESV, but the King James has it, and so I can't leave it out. I just can't. But, uh, but what we're, uh, what are we talking about here? And just, uh, just as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're talking about the fruitlessness of Israel. Jesus is still focused on the fruitlessness of Israel as he has come in, presented himself as the Messiah, and he's seen the blindness and the sinfulness that is there. And, uh, and also, this is about replacing. Now, I want you to hear this and keep this in mind. It's about replacing the old covenant represented by the Temple Mount, replacing that with the new. It's about telling the disciples and all of his followers what their ministry is going to be. And it's about effectual prayer. You see, this is going to be the disciples' ministries. Do you know what he's saying here when he says, when he says, uh, uh, have faith in God? Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, there's things that I talked about uh, uh, before in this, and that is the uh, uh, ongoing or the uh, uh, continuing 
sense of what he's saying. He's not saying that you or I can walk up to a mountain and say, be you plucked up and cast into the sea and it will immediately happen. That's not what he's saying. That sounds like, I mean, that's where this stuff is where the word faith people get their teaching and things like that. But he says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, not a mountain, this mountain. Well, what mountain is he speaking of? He's speaking of the uh, Temple Mount, Mount Zion, the physical Mount Zion. In physical Jerusalem, in earthly Jerusalem, he's speaking about that. And, uh, and he says that this Mount Zion, this earthly Mount Zion, is to be taken down. It's to be taken up and cast into the sea. It's to be no more. It's to be done away with. And this is going to be the ministry of the disciples and not just to the disciples. It's the ministry of all of us. It is to be cast out and, and it's cast out by our preaching, our praying, Right? Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Amen. We are preaching the new covenant, not the old covenant. Mount Zion that he's talking about that must be cast into the sea is uh, based on the old covenant and it is the center of, of worship for the earthly Jewish people. And it's a place where the law was ruling. It's a place where there was a changeable priesthood that was in effect. It was a place where animal sacrifices were being made. And this must be taken away. Now remember, as we went through the book of Hebrews, remember chapter number 8. Remember what, uh, how we were taught about that, but this doesn't have to, you really don't have to do very much teaching here. It's very clear to me what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse number 8. It says, well, let me start, I'll go start with, I'm going to start with verse 7. For if that first covenant, the old covenant, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and to bring them out of the land of Egypt for they did not continue in my covenant and so I showed no concern for them declares the Lord for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord and this 
covenant that he's making with Israel is spiritual Israel. It's not national Israel. It's not on that Mount Zion in earthly Jerusalem. He's making a new covenant with the descendants of Abraham by faith. He says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach one his neighbor and each one to his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. I'm having a hard time being calm. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. <laughs> he makes the first one obsolete. And growing old is ready to vanish away. This is what Jesus is doing here. This is what Jesus is saying there. And, and listen, there's no compatibility between the old and the new. That's why when Jesus gave that, uh, uh, the two parables, I think he gave his, one is uh, uh, you can't put a new patch, some new cloth on an old garment. And the other one is you can't put new wine into old wineskins. They're incompatible. There's no compatibility whatsoever between the old and the new. You're going to have to, just like that garment, don't try to patch it up. Just throw it away and put on the new. So, have you ever seen those bumper stickers? plastered all over the back of people's cars that have that it's written with all these different emblems of religions call uh, and it says coexist well maybe i can coexist as far as living on the same planet with them but i want to tell you if coexist means i can't point out their error then i can't point i cannot coexist if coexist means i <laughs> That uh, I have to cooperate with them and support their ungodly and unscriptural projects, then I can't coexist. There's only one thing that, one way that I can live, there's only one religion that I can promote. There's only one salvation and that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the thing that this world hates is the exclusivity of Christianity. But Jesus is the only hope. That temple mount was where the hopes of earthly Israel was based. And that religion but here is Jesus. He's our temple. He's our place where God meets with men and men meet with God. He's the propitiation for our sins. We no longer need the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice, for Christ is our sacrifice. 
We no longer need uh, the uh, laver. That second piece of furniture inside there is the uh, uh, brass laver that's shiny and the priest would go in and they could see their reflection and wash their hands. We don't need that because Jesus is our sanctification. We no longer need the table of showbread because Jesus is the bread of life. We no longer need the lampstand inside that uh, first veil. We no longer need that because Christ is our life. We no longer need the altar of incense because Christ is our intercessor. We no longer need that physical mercy seat because Christ is our mercy seat. Mm -hmm. He has with his blood cleansed us from every sin. Mm -hmm. And so the disciples. Are going to have to. Be able to saturate themselves. In faith based prayer. Mm -hmm. To be effectual. Mm -hmm. In dealing with this. Ministry. And so. This is what's. This is what's going on here and uh, Jesus says truly I say to you whoever says to this mountain be taken up thrown into the sea I, I thought about that man I could preach a dozen messages out of this but I thought about what what it means to be cast into the sea several things in scripture were cast into the sea sometimes things were cast in the sea as far as uh, judgment some things cast in the sea uh, for disposal some things cast into the sea uh, uh, just to unburden but uh, but listen that law righteousness that never was achieved by anyone but Jesus that all has been cast into the sea along with our sins. He's cast our sins into the depths of the sea. It's gone. It's gone. And Jesus is our righteousness. Well, let's talk about the... I've got uh, four points about effectual prayer now. And uh, we'll talk about these things. He's he says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, you know that uh, that, that doesn't mean that God is going to uh, step down from the throne and let you have a go at it, right? You don't get to just go out and pick a mountain and cast it into the sea. There's some, you need to be praying in the will of God before you decide you're going to do any casting of anything. You better find out about the will of God. You don't get God in on what you're doing. He gets you in on what he's doing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've got four F's here. <laughs> the first one is focus. Effectual the effectual praying man must be focused and that focus is not on the problem. The focus is not on the mountain. The focus is on God. 
We must be focused. We must be praying in accord with the will of God. Oh, listen, people just, you know, we, <coughs> and I, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. You know, we want to tell God what we want and, and we wonder why in the world can't we get it like right now. But we are to be praying in the will of God. This is what uh, uh, 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 14 said. <coughs> Listen. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything. And what's the next word? According to his will. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. How do we know? How do, how do you get it? How do you get what Jesus said here when he said, if you speak to this mountain and don't doubt, it'll be done for you. Well, this is what he's saying. If it's the will of God for me to move this mountain, then you can join with me and align your will with mine and you can pray and God's going to answer your prayers. James chapter 4. This is, this is familiar, I know, but uh, we'll go ahead and read it anyway. It's, it's always good to... Reread these familiar passages and just plant them in our minds. James chapter 4 verse 1. What causes quarrels and quarrels and, and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder, you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. Now listen, you know, I don't think James here is writing to a bunch of lost people. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I have a little bit of this in me every once in a while. Do you? Eh, probably not. But it's, it's, it, if you just wrote it for me, I guess it's good. Okay. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, when you pray, you want what you want, not what God wants. And it's easy to end it by saying, not my will, but thine be done. <laughs> but he does know your heart. You see, he has a plan. He's decreed all things, and you're not going to change his decrees. As a matter of fact, when he decreed all things, he figured the prayers of the saints in with it. I know that's pretty deep waters right there. You'll either swim in them or drown in them. We don't use him. He uses us. We don't command him. 
he commands us. Well, focus. Number two, effectual praying. The effectual prayer must be faithful. And I, by faithful, I mean full of faith in one sense, full of faith. And in another sense, faithful in his lifestyle as well. Because it, you can't pray one way and live another and expect God to answer your prayer. Do you ever think on that? Your whole, I, and the reason I get this is I remember years ago, uh, A.W. Tozer, I, I read several A.W. Tozer books, and he had several books that he just wrote little articles that were like uh, two or three pages, you know, or maybe four pages. And, and I'm telling you, you could just go down the content section and read the titles and get a blessing. <laughs> and one of the titles of his, uh, uh, of, of one of these articles that he wrote is, I forget what I was about to say. Oh, our whole life must pray. Our whole life must pray. That's true. If you are living a disobedient and unfaithful life and you come to him to the Lord uh, with uh, some of these uh, really mountain-moving requests. James says, you're asking amiss. So this is a very important thing. We must be faithful. Effectual prayer is faithful prayer. It's believing prayer. It's prayer that is full of faith. Because it's a prayer that is full of faithfulness. And it's full of faithfulness because it believes God. It just believes God. It believes God because it knows God. That's so important. You can't be God-focused and you can't be faithful and full of faith unless you know God. Do you know Him? And what I'm saying when I say know Him, I'm not just talking about knowing about God or knowing who God is supposed to be. <coughs> I'm talking about do you know Him? You remember Exodus 33? I've talked about it several times in our Wednesday evening prayer times. But in Exodus chapter 33, Moses goes before the Lord and he says, If I found favor, verse number 11, If I have found favor in thy sight, I beseech thee, show me now thy way, that I may know thee. So I have to quote King James because that's all I can quote. Show me now thy way that I may know thee. What's Moses asking? He's asking for a deeper knowledge of God. A much more intimate knowledge of God than just knowing about God. You see, this is a very important thing. And, and you say, well, I don't know if... Uh, did, did God answer that prayer? 
Glad you asked. Psalm 105, no, 103, Psalm 103. It's really bad to have notes when you can't read your own right. Psalm 103 and verse number 7. Listen to it. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. There's a difference there, isn't it? You can know God by his ways or you can know him by his works, his acts. Did you, ever, did you ever give that any thought? Because that's exactly what the children of Israel, that's the trap they fell into. They knew God's acts. They knew God's, what, not God's works. But Moses knew God's ways. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 3 verse number 10 says. And there's, listen, this is really a thing. I'm not just making something up here. This is really a thing. And uh, there are other, many other passages of Scripture that deal with this very thing. Hebrews chapter 3. Is that in the New Testament or old? I think that's in the New Testament. And verse number 10. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. To know God's ways is to know God intimately. And to know God's works is to just know about God. To know God's works is to know what He does. To know His ways is to know His purposes. To know God's heart. To know God's attributes. His character. And then you can know His ways and you can walk in His ways. And if you don't know His ways and you don't walk in His ways, you can never pray effectually. I jotted down three things about, I, I'm not going to get through, so I'll just throw these in. I, I've jotted down three things about the difference between knowing God's ways and go, knowing God's works. It's the difference between the difference between in, intimacy and infatuation. You know what infatuation is, right? Some people are just infatuated with God, just like, uh, you know, when you were young and you got infatuated with a young girl or a young man, and, and, uh, but it wasn't really love, and it's kind of that way. There was a, uh, there's some people in John, I won't flip over and read it, but in John chapter 2, I think it's around verse number 24, uh, the scripture talks about some people who uh, came to Jesus, they believed in him when they saw the miracles that he did. Pretty cool, huh? They believed in him when they saw the miracles that he did, but he didn't commit himself to them because he knew what was in man and needed not that any should testify of man. You get it? There's a difference there, isn't it? 
these guys, they knew what Jesus could do. They'd seen him do these miracles and they said, we want to get on that bandwagon. We want on that. We want to be part of that. But it wasn't Jesus they loved and Jesus knew it. A difference, but the difference between intimacy and infatuation. Number two, the difference between uh, knowing God's uh, ways and knowing God's work is the difference between peace and panic. When life is crazy, you know, these disciples here, the, when, when all this starts happening, when God starts shaking Israel and breaking down that temple mount, <clears throat> and uh, I believe it was Art that was telling me, or maybe it was Russ that uh, was telling me the other day that uh, they even took some of the stones of the temple and used them as a walkway in the water to go over and fight somebody else. Is that right? Mm -hmm. the, I mean, the, this these stones were literally cast into the sea. When all this was going to happen, they needed peace. <laughs> they were going to have to have peace, and they couldn't have peace if they didn't know God, if they didn't know His ways. Uh, do you remember Moses and the Israelites when they came out of Egypt and they came down to the Red Sea and and there's mountains on one side and seas in front of them and wilderness on the other side and the Egyptian army coming up behind them. That's a recipe for panic, isn't it, if you just know God's works. But Moses said, be still. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? Moses knew his ways. And it's the difference between worship and worry. And I won't go into Job. We've talked about Job's uh, test and how that in the midst of his trial, he raised his hand and said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. This is, this is, a I'm talking about effectual prayer. Mm -hmm. And number three, I'm going to have to hurry. I just got five minutes left. Effectual prayer must be forceful. Forceful. I mean, this is fighting words, right? You come up against the temple mount and say, be plucked up and cast into the sea. That's, uh, that's fighting words, but that's a big obstacle. And it's not one of those things that happens immediately because praying is not always that way, is it? Our praying when we ask for things, sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a lot of praying. And if you're going to pray anything in, if you're going to uh, get uh, into that place where Jesus is talking about having your prayers answered, sometimes you're going to have to pray and keep praying. Sometimes you're going to have to Ask and keep asking. Sometimes you're going to have to seek and keep seeking. And sometimes you're going to have to knock and keep knocking. Right? That's what he says in the model prayer, right? Mm -hmm. You have to just keep going. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 18. 
the very first verse. He says, the scripture says, he, he spake a parable unto them to this end or to this purpose, that men ought always to pray and not to faint or not to lose hope. You know what that implies to me is that sometimes I pray and he don't just jump at my request. What about him not doing that? What about it? me not, uh, as, great a, as great a man as I am, I can't just speak to God and get him to do whatever I want him to do. I can't demand it. I can't claim it. But I'll tell you what, if it's his will, and I'm in alignment with his will, and I have sought him, I've got a, a bunch of other stuff, but if I have sought him with my heart, and I have examined myself, and I have uh, tried to be sure, as sure as I possibly can, with scripture, and with what I know about God, that I'm praying in his will, if I'll just keep on speaking to that mouth. If I'll just keep on going against that that hindrance, that giant, that false religion, that heretical teaching. If I'll just keep on going against it, God's going to move. Because he said he would. Because that's his work, not my work. Lord, we pray that you'd take these rambling words. And help your people with them, we pray. May we go out of here determined to be effectual prayers. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.